You're listening to the Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and tech to WWE and video games, come let your geek flag fly with your hosts, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. Welcome back to the Concession Stand. This is episode number 21. We 21 now? Yes, this show can legally drink, and so should we after we have our Stone Cold Salute. I said give me a hell yeah. Yes. Ah. So I am your host, Nick Howell. With me as always, Mr. Andy Nelson. Uh, look, we have got a ton, a ton of stuff to talk about today. It's been a huge week, starting all the way back last week when we recorded. We had the Nintendo presentation that night. We're going to dive into a lot of that stuff today, but we just want to jump right in. Today we had some piece of good news and a piece of bad news in the world of wrestling uh, over the last week, and we really need to take a moment to break that down. Break it down! Unfortunately, we lost one of the, arguably one of the most legendary superstars uh, in wrestling this past week in uh, Jimmy the Superfly Snuka, uh, the, f- the famed Samoan family of, of wrestling that's out there today. In, in a way, he was the godfather. He was the one. And, and in a way, I wanted to tell a little bit of when I first got into wrestling, he was him and Andre the Giant and Iron Sheik were probably the first ones that I was exposed to sitting on my grandfather's lap, nine, ten years old. You know, he would be sitting there chain smoking. He had one of those giant satellite dishes that were in the yard <laughs> yeah. that could get all of the channels, right? But that was my first real exposure. So while I don't have a lot of while we're all fans of The Rock, we have to understand that he comes from that lineage. That was his uncle, and he was the one that gave the actual announcement this past week for Tamina, who is, uh, is Jimmy Snuka's daughter, currently on the, the women's roster. And, it, you know, it's we saw a huge outpouring this week from the WWE. It, he, look, he is one of the icons of the beginning of what really became mainstream wrestling. Absolutely. I mean, he was the first real high flyer of, yeah, of, of yeah. any of those. Uh, and when I was a kid, um, I you know, when I first got into it, it was like the, right in that rock and wrestling era of... Hogan and Piper and Snuka, but Snuka was, I remember like the, the, you remember the, like the six or seven inch, like rubber wrestling figures yeah. that they came out with in the eighties, right? And they, you could bang them together and stuff. Um, I remember bounce them off the, I remember, the ropes, right? I remember getting Hogan and my brother got Andre, but the next one I wanted when, and we could never find him. And we always asked for him. I think I remember like praying in church one day that I would get him because <laughs> I thought that was the trick. If you prayed and you asked for something, you'd get it. Cause that's what they taught right. us when you were seven years old. But yeah, I wanted the Jimmy Superfly Snuka figure. I'll never forget getting it in his pose. And uh, he came with a poster, and I had the poster up in my room. Oh, it was great. Um, so yeah, I think he was the original high flyer. There weren't guys that would jump off of the top of a rope and propel themselves up, like just as normally just drop onto somebody, but then right. he would just literally take flight. Hence the name Superfly. And one of his biggest matches ever I, I'd gone back and watched as an, as an adult was the, was the um, jump off of the steel cage in the late 70s against uh, Magnificent Morocco, which Mick Foley as a boy was actually in the crowd for that. No so, kidding. Um, he's he's had a he's had an indelible mark on on many wrestling careers and and on all the fans, and he certainly will be missed. Yeah, our thoughts and prayers and everything goes out to the Snuka family and to that entire S- uh, Samoan heritage because that again he was kind of like the godfather of that whole from the Usos to the Rock to Tamina, all of the Samoan heritage that that is really 
kind of deep seated in WWE in a in an interesting and fascinating way. He he's definitely uh, the the sort of patriarch of that whole Samoan family when it comes to WWE. So definitely want to send our best wishes to the family. Um, you know, it, it's definitely a huge loss for them. And while we lost one Hall of Famer this week from WWE, we are gaining another one uh, coming up this year that's a big one. Well, we have our first inductee into the 2017 Hall of Fame class for WWE, and it is none other than Kurt Angle himself. Oh, who, it's, oh it's true. It's damn true. It's damn true. And I would say that he he's going to go down in t- probably my top five, if not top three, favorite wrestlers of all time wow, from okay. Mike Skills and promos. And do you remember when he, you know, this thing where Stone Cold brought the beer truck out? <laughs> he brought the milk truck out. He brought out. the milk <laughs> truck out and sprayed the whole McMahon family with milk. I, th- there are probably, this really goes back to the kind of the end of the Attitude Era, yep. the early 2000s. And it's when Rock was starting to phase out a little bit. Stone Cold was starting to phase out. Kurt Angle kind of picked up and carried it for at least a year or two there. Oh, yeah. And then this random guy named John Cena in like 2003 came out and accepted his open challenge, and it was John Cena off from there. I was at that match in Chicago. What? Yes, I was. I was at that match in Chicago in the All-State Arena. Awesome. Uh, I saw that. Kurt Angle facing the young John Cena. John Cena was wearing like the red like underwear tights. Yeah. Uh, you can look that match up on YouTube or probably on the network, but it's pretty neat. But yeah, um, but me and Jared have been going back and watching all of like some of the great Kurt Angle <laughs> moments, right? And some of them were we, we when had they the had tiny the tiny hat on, like the guitar. They and, had the guitar, the tiny cowboy hat because he <laughs> wanted to be like uh, Shawn Michaels <laughs> yes, and everybody else, yeah. right? And then he had the Jared. One of mine and Jared's favorite one is uh, the rap battle with John oh, Cena. Yes, that was a good one too. It was hilarious. So listen, he is chock full of all of these great moments, and I I can't think of anybody. Uh, from the Attitude Era, more deserving of a Hall of Fame induction. Let's not forget his wrestling skills were yes. top notch as well. We were talking about all the funny things that we remember, but sorry, you said let's not forget what he is the only, only Olympic medalist. R- forget that he's got six golds. He is the only ever Olympic medalist to be in the WWE ever, and that is a big, big deal. All right, and uh, to me, it, it just it kind of solidifies. Yes, while it might be semi scripted entertainment sports entertainment as we call it today it, there are some real skills and talent and physical ability that go into some of this stuff and for him to come in as a greco-roman wrestler really brought a, in, a, in a singlet he was one of the only guys that were wearing like a a proper wrestling singlet at the at the time yes and uh, that just really gave him like the street cred of being a legit wrestler so on top of his kind of crybaby promos and stuff like that uh, it was it was definitely a lot of fun to watch him coming up over the years. So I think we're going to get to see him show up on some Raw or SmackDown episodes leading up to WrestleMania. Maybe he makes an appearance at Royal Rumble in a couple of weeks. But that'd be great. I don't know. I, I think it, I am really looking forward to just hearing his music kick one more time. Oh yes, and hearing the pop of that audience and hearing the you suck, <laughs> which will definitely happen at the Hall of Fame speech. It'd be, it'd be oh, great yeah. if he got a chance to at least come back into a ring uh, during a Raw or WrestleMania or something just to. Do some sort of proper hello, goodbye, whatever it's going to be. And who knows? Maybe he's got one more match left in him. Um, or maybe the person that is either that wins the Royal Rumble or is leading to WrestleMania, maybe he gets to be a a, a ringside coach. That'd be cool. For, for something like that. Cool. I, and yeah. just have some experience, hear the crowd again, because I know how special that is for all these superstars. They all talk about it. Yeah. All right. So speaking of the Royal Rumble, um, it's a week from Sunday. Yeah. We're, we're, we're less than two weeks away from the Royal Rumble. Everything is kind of set now. 
there's not really a lot to talk about here. Well, I'll put some links in the show notes to the, the, the entire group of people that are going to be in the match and the other things that are going on. But look, it's going to be a good pay-per-view. It's stacking up. Uh, we are officially on the road to WrestleMania as of this coming Sunday. Oh, we could talk about that forever. But for now, let's go over to some TV and movies. Well, I want to start this out by saying that this, this is unofficial as of this recording. Uh, but I think we unofficially have our next Bond. And uh, he has a new TV show as well. But I think we're going to see Tom Hardy be the next James Bond. There, that's definitely a rumor. That's definitely something I would be excited to see. There's also a rumor that if, if he does it, perhaps it would get Christopher Nolan to do the Bond mm. movie. And those two have a working relationship. I think Nolan would make a fantastic Bond movie. There's parts of Inception that have like kind of like Bond movie, like snowy elements to it. You know? Oh, yeah. I could see it all happening. But if, if worse comes to worse, they could get um, him to play a um, just put on the Bane outfit and put that uh, accent on right from Dark Knight Rises. And he could be a Bond villain. Right? Perhaps you should have told me that I was <laughs> oh, going to be Bond. Mr. Bond. He, yeah, I mean, he can dual role as a Batman and <laughs> yeah, a Bond villain. There it is, the first time ever. <laughs> yes, the you crossover happens. And you save money on the acting, so it's great. <laughs> Why not? Oh, man. Uh, I'm very excited about that. What happened to Idris Elba? There was, there was speculation over the last two or three years that he was going to be the, the it's next still, It still may be. This is all speculation. Tom Hardy had sort of like a bit of a coy, because like, of course he's in the news promoting this new Taboo show, yeah. and uh, he, he said that it wouldn't be out of the uh, out of the um, realm of possibility for this to happen, and right. he would love the idea to go work with a Chris Nolan on a, you know, actors can do that kind of stuff, and it gets Buzz going and yes. makes us talk about it on a podcast, so there you go. Uh, I, I, he gets my vote as far as who, who, who goes next because I'm, I'm, Daniel Craig can't do anymore. He did his part, whatever, but I don't want to like, break down all the Bond stuff here. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's, there's not anybody in Hollywood right now better, in my opinion, that could pull off that role. And what I, what I'm excited about with him is that he kind of gets back to the grittiness of a Timothy Dalton, uh, from the eighties and, you know, even in a sense, the suaveness of a, of a Pierce Brosnan. So to me, he's this interesting mix-up of those two. Yeah. And I want to see Bond get back to being a gadget guy, get back to being uh, having all, being having a relationship with Q. And uh, we've we've gone too far into the brawler side of Bond. And yeah. With, with Daniel Craig, and I just I I don't I don't like the dark and yeah. stuff. I want the fun back. Casino Royale was great, like of the Daniel Craig movies, sure. and then each of them has their like Quantum of Solace, not good. Um, the other two, uh, whatever. So yes, I think it's time for. And Daniel Craig's also been saying like, I don't want to do any more Bond movies. It's like, fine, go away, <laughs> go away. Let somebody else do it. Right. And I think Tom Hardy's a perfect choice. Speaking of Tom Hardy and Bale, uh, <laughs> Bane, Bane, Bale, Bane. Yeah. What? Where did Bale came from? Diablo. Swear to me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, Gotham fired back up this week, and oh. I think I watched it. I got to see it. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it looks like we're going to get to. I'm going to spoil one little thing. So, warning. I mean, TV's spoiled Yeah, it. TV's been promoing the shit out of it. So, you, if, you, if you're into Gotham, you already know this, but uh, I think we're getting going to get Joker. Oh, it's, it's guaranteed the way that it's going. Yeah. Not only are we going to get Joker, uh, I think we're going to see finally see Nygma turn to Riddler. Yep, we are. Uh, so, we've got Penguin. They've already been calling him that. So, Penguin, Joker, yeah. Riddler. Uh, we've had Mr. Freeze come and go already. So, we're kind of getting that whole universe. When are we going to start seeing, if ever, Bruce Wayne, the kid... <laughs> He's a kid. Throwback to Patton Oswalt. Yeah. You know, uh, you like Bruce, you like Batman. Well, now you get to see him as a little kid. Yeah, great. Uh, I wonder if we're ever going to see him build out the cave, begin to do all of that stuff, uh, or is this just going to be the the amazing adventures of Alfred and Bruce Wayne? You know, just <laughs> just going on these capers, <laughs> yeah. with, you know, and and having a teenage prepubescent girlfriend, right. with Selena Kyle. I, Gotham is a fantastic show. I love it the grittiness is. look of it. It's dark. It's 
It, it just it's awesome. Uh, I just I want to st- I want it, it. It didn't take two and a half seasons. It didn't need to take two and a half seasons to get to the point where you're showing me all the stuff that I signed up to watch in the first place. Yes, you're right. We didn't need two and a half seasons to say like, here's who the Joker, the Riddler, and the Penguin are. We know who they are. We know who Falcone is. We know who Bruce Wayne is. We know who Gordon is. Right. Just start there and then take us from there. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a teenage Batman. We can't change that. This David Mazuz kid is not going to grow up in you know ten years overnight. Uh, they could recast it and jump into the future if they wanted to. But then it's, it takes away the whole idea. And then it just the show should just be called Batman. This is supposedly right. Gotham. So uh, I mean, I'm I'm in. I, I like it. I like the guy that's going to be this uh, Cameron, whatever his name is. That's going to be the Joker, Jerome uh, Monaghan, Cameron yeah. Monaghan. Yeah, he's great. Um, all their acting choices are, are fantastic. And uh, like I said, there's not much more we can say except I can't wait to keep watching. Yeah, even. Uh, uh, Jada Pinkett doing uh, oh, Fish Mooney Fish was fantastic. <laughs> Dumb name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm waiting for Harvey Dent to show up yeah. and do that kind of stuff. That'd be cool. Uh, so uh, all the main characters, it looks like the they're either going to lead to the cliffhanger of season three with uh, introducing some of these characters, and then maybe next season we get it just blows up and we get everybody. Maybe they flash forward in time old to where Bruce is old enough. Because we've seen with the Game of Thrones kids, they grow up overnight. Yeah. Like somehow they age and their voices change, Yeah, but right? this actor can't pull off playing the Batman. Like they, they have to do like send him off to – he has to go off into the into the Himalayas and learn all That's the true. martial arts stuff. All the stuff. ninja shit, Yeah, right? he's learn all that and then you know, his detective skills. <laughs> so this is probably – I mean in the theory, this show has to end with just the villains are just too impossible for Gordon and uh, what's his – Donald Lowe's character to handle. So yep. that's how it ends. And we'll see him then flash up a bat signal or who knows. And then <laughs> yeah. Hans Zimmer comes in with a cameo, right? Music exactly. cameo. Uh, it's hard to talk about TV and movies these days without bringing up Disney because they freaking own everything. Yes, now. they do. Yes, so they, we've got to talk about some Disney esque stuff here. The first thing I want to talk about is the uh, the whole Carrie thing circling around Carrie Fisher. Look, there were some rumors and speculation about what they're going to do with her characters. And, and in the, um, we want to talk about this in the most respectful way. So, of course. Of course. Um, there, she she has wrapped all of her uh, 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 what do they call it her, her principal photography principal her, photography. her work for episode eight was apparently done yes. uh, before her passing yes so that's done so there was a little bit of debate about whether or not she was going to be in episode nine whether they since they did such a good job with uh, Grandma Tarkin and her and her younger version of her with CGI could they potentially go there was this was all speculation yeah. well disney for you know a first time and i can't remember when actually res, or lucasfilm responded and said no we're not going to do that yeah and there was some uh in back and forth between lucasfilm and the carrie fisher estate talking about potentially according to potentially a thing, trying but, to do this but but according to lucasfilm none of that ever happened yeah. you know so, so well, they came so out they got, they got ahead of it and respectfully so for yeah. her um so more than likely we do not see her in episode nine yeah and that's it is what it is. Which puts an interesting strain on uh, Ryan Johnson and the, the Episode 8 crew, in my opinion, because what if uh, they, they couldn't have planned to not have her available for Episode 9? Well, he's not doing 9. So, um, uh, well, the, yeah, fair, but, uh, but they're not making these as standalone Correct. box units. There's going to be carry-on. Right. So the, the point I was trying to get at was how do they end Episode 8 now? It did Have they had to go back and reshoot stuff? Has the editing edit changed? All of that stuff you know, brings up speculation in my mind. We'll never know. They'll prob- we'll probably know more as we get closer, just similar to the, you know, the way that um, we lost uh, you know, Brandon Lee during the filming of Crow. We lost Paul yeah. Walker, and they had to recut some things in uh, the, the most recent. They used recent- his brother with some CGI. Sure. 
Um, and then, you know, we lose Heath Ledger after the dark Knight, and I'm sure, and we've all speculated since that happened that oh, yeah. the Joker was supposed to be a part of that, you know, final movie, of that trilogy. But then when he, you know, when you lose him, sadly that you just kind of have to go on. So, I mean, in theory, uh, without even really speculating about it too much, you would think that there would be some sort of um, meeting that they would have planned. If it doesn't end up in episode eight, it probably would have been in episode nine of Kylo Ren and his mother confronting each other. I mean, in theory, that would have to happen yeah. for the story to either be complete or, or, or I don't know, or, or maybe even, or, you know, yeah. or who knows what they're going to do. And it's, it's not even up to us to speculate. It's just that we're here to just say like the ideas that you might be having in your head about her being digitally rec- recreated and she having an acting role in episode nine are pretty much gone. Nope. Uh, that, that stuff's gone unless they figure out a way to dig up some footage or they shot some extra stuff or something along those lines. And it feels like it, to be honest, it still feels like a little too soon kind of thing. We're yeah, so, it we're still so, hurts. Uh, yeah. It's we're, we're only two weeks or three weeks removed from her passing and everybody's like, well, what are we going to do in episode nine? Like, I mean, sure. You have that thought, but it's like, slow down. Yeah. Let's get to episode eight first yeah. and uh, we'll figure it out from there. Uh, in more uh, Star Wars news, James Earl Jones had a birthday this week. Yes, he did. He turned 86, so he's just slightly older than John Williams. But <laughs> but uh, I think he is now the probably the oldest, like one of the oldest member or original cast members of the entire universe. I would imagine, yeah. right? So, um, happy birthday, James Earl Jones. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, more Disney stuff. They're continuing their kind of live action remake a thon yeah. uh, of all of this, t- taking <laughs> all of their it. all of their it. animated things and turning them into these live action dark, gritty pieces, right? Yeah. I can only imagine how dark Pinocchio and 101 Dalmatians could get. Yeah, and those are coming. Uh, Little Mermaid's coming. But most recently, this week, we heard about uh, Will Smith playing Dumbo. And not just any Dumbo. Not playing Dumbo. He might be the trainer. So he's not going to oh, be Dumbo. I, I thought he was going to be the voice of Dumbo. Did I make that up? Or is he going to be the, uh, the, 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 the mouse guy? Jimmy the, uh, Timothy I, the mouse. I don't know. Okay. And also, they're circling Tom Hanks, by the way. As a the villain, villain. As a villain. Which in, is, yes, okay. Yes. We haven't seen Tom Hanks do that yeah, kind of role. Imagine if Woody from Toy Story goes bad, you yeah. know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, works with Tim Burton for the first time. Exactly. You know? But, I mean, Tim Burton making a movie like this, that could be pretty cool. I mean, yep. it'll have, maybe it'll have kind of a dark, you know, Tim Burton-y... But he's also done a lot of colorful work recently with, like, the, the Alice in Wonderland stuff and the other stuff he's done. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, because the, the first one I absolutely loved. Yes. I thought the whole setup and Depp's part is the Hatter. Mm-hmm. Everything was great. Even the Jabberwocky stuff at the end, yep. brilliantly directed. It looked fantastic. It was dark. It was effed up there was all kinds of stuff going on the second one the look through the looking glass yeah he did not direct he did not direct awful it was terrible i couldn't i just i couldn't even make it all the way through the film so i'm very excited that somebody like tim disney is trusting somebody like tim burton to continue to helm yeah the these sorts of films because i think he brings a next level kind of uh approach to it that really makes them pop and especially a distinct look like you just said oh yeah absolutely Okay, uh, Hulu. As we've talked about previously, um, we're we're cord, we're both cord cutters now. Yeah. So we uh, we have to talk about Hulu a little bit. Uh, they're making a big push for 2017, and we talked about the live TV stuff that, last week. Uh, yeah. Last week, but the, now they're talking about you know following on from Netflix being able to do the offline downloading uh, of their content. So now, if you go on airplane rides, the whole thing with being on the plane is they specifically block. Anything that's a video streaming service, right? Because it so eats now, up all the internet bandwidth, right? Well, that and you know, it's if it you may have, crash the plane somehow, even right. though it won't. <laughs> Please turn off all streaming TV services as they may interfere with the pilot's ability to land. Well, tell him to stop watching yeah. freaking Hulu exactly. while he's landing the plane. Anyway, uh, so the ability to have this is really cool for road trips, uh, for flights, for anything like that, where you you know 
airport or public Wi-Fi in general is is pretty abysmal here in the states. Anywhere yeah. you go, you usually have to sign up for all that stuff, and when you do stream it, it just it's slow as mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about this in the sense that we're going to have a different way to get access to content. Um, couple this with some of the live TV stuff. This starts getting really interesting because if you have the ability to DVR or on-demand view any of the live stuff, maybe you could schedule it to be downloaded after it's broadcast sure. as a, in some sort of queue, like yeah. a DVR would work. Maybe you got a 45-minute commute on a train or something to get into work or an hour yeah. commute to get into a train, and you're watching a couple episodes of a show from that was on last night that you wouldn't have been able to do because it's not on Netflix. We're talking like network TV shows that you want to keep up with. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I would, it's, it takes me an hour on the train to get to uh, Staples Center, but it's all underground. Um, so I, I could absolutely watch an episode of a show while, I'm, while I'm on the train yeah. rather than playing solitaire on my phone, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. It's all your fault by the way. Yeah. Uh, there's one caveat to this though. Uh, it must be, I was reading that this must be viewed within the Hulu app. It's not like they're, you're going to download an right. MP4 file to your phone or to your device. Yeah. It's still going to be done and managed within the Hulu app, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. You'll still be able to use your watch list and. You know, maybe there's a different button that you say to uh, prep for offline viewing, something sure. like that. And then, you know, what I'm interested in is if you the thing about Hulu is it's it's universal across all your different devices, whether it's Apple TV or iPhone or Android. It's still the Hulu thing. So is that how to, if you set something to download on your Apple TV and you pull up your Android phone on the on the train? You're not going to be able to do it. So does you it download to, it to all your devices? Good question. And that's something that's, they're going to – they're definitely going to have to sort that out. But, yeah. I mean, if you have to hit an extra button on another device to make that possible, I don't think it's that big. I don't idea. want to have to hit that button on every single one of my devices. That's lazy, though. The, I mean, if interest- you really want to take – you know, but it, I know what you're saying. But, I mean, to not be able to go, like, download on my phone when, and, and, and I'll be able to watch it the next morning, that's not that big of a deal yeah, to but me. Download it on my phone, but don't put it on my Apple TV. Or that, There's some interesting caveats there that sure. are interesting. The other thing is since I travel internationally a lot is I know that I can't use Netflix or Hulu outside of the U.S., uh, but it's interesting to me that if I could download an episode, I still have to use the app. Does that mean I would be able to watch it if it's offline? Oh, all right. Yeah, good so point. So that's, uh, that's just some interesting stuff there that I was thinking about as well okay. um, that would come in handy. So. Uh, yeah, the Hulu, look, I think they're going to continue to explode in 2017. Uh, stay tuned for more stuff on uh, coming from them throughout the year. Uh, you had an interesting series that you brought to me that um, I hadn't heard of until you said something. Okay, so you know the actor Bill Hader from Saturday, or used to be on Saturday Night Live, yeah. and he was in Trainwreck, and you know, he does all the funny voices, and right? Right. So he's, um, he announced that he's doing an, an HBO show, and this is sometime next year, but I just like the concept of this. So the show's called Barry, and he plays he plays a hitman, which just him playing a hitman cracks me up, okay. first of all. He follows like uh, one of his targets, I guess, into like an, it's, a, it's a female, and he follows her into an acting class, and he sees uh, what she uh, is doing, and he becomes so infatuated, not with her, but the art of acting, that he okay. just completely switches his hitman career into being an actor. So <laughs> okay. I, I, I think there sounds like a bit of like a gross point blank, just like fun kind of thing. And with that character and like the fact that it's on HBO, you can probably get away with some more stuff that you might not be able to do on network TV that might be a little funnier and violent or who knows. But Henry Winkler is involved, who is just, you know, a, a hilarious. T- yes, a TV, you know, the Fonz. How can you yeah. how can you go wrong? Granted, this is all like it's coming next year, but I just saw it and I got excited about it. So I wanted to bring it up. That's it. The, the idea that a guy would give up multi-millions of dollar con. Uh, hit contracts, assassination contracts, <laughs> yeah. to go be a jobbing actor in Hollywood and right. wash dishes and tend bars. Yeah, who knows? Uh, that could be a lot of fun. So yeah. We'll see how that goes. Uh, speaking of more comedy, Jerry Seinfeld made a pretty big move this past week and is bringing 
two new specials to Netflix. Yeah, like stand-up specials. Like stand-up specials, which Netflix has been a lot of with Bill Burr, with Gaffigan, with uh, Louis C.K. They're all showing up on Netflix now, Patton right? did one. Yep, you know? absolutely. Oh. Uh, Eliza Schlesinger as well has, has a few on there. Yep. But that's not the only thing. He's also bringing over his very popular Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee series from Crackle. Yeah, and that's all he's been doing since like the whole end of Seinfeld. He's like, I just need some money. I'll do an American Express commercial, and yeah. oh yeah, I got this idea. I'll just go around with a bunch of comedians that people like and I like, and we'll and I like cars. So I'll just- ask Jay Leno if I can borrow a bunch of his cars and, <laughs> right. and uh, right. drive them around and pick up other people. And if you haven't seen that show, it's awesome. It's just it's really cool. I know you you want it to be longer than it actually is, but for what it started as is like this internet thing that you watch yeah. on your computer for a couple of minutes. That's it's neat. You see an old car, and he gets into a car with a famous comedian, and they joke around and. And they usually end up stopping and getting coffee somewhere. So I'm sure that they shoot an hour's worth of content. Oh, easily uh, during that. My problem with it is, is that it was being cut for the fast food guys, so you never really got any any. It was very shallow, right? yeah. I guess is what I want to say, and you never really got into any meat of any of these actors or Seinfeld himself or the cars that they were in. They they were in some pretty spectacular cars. Oh yeah, I remember he picked Patton Oswalt up in a DeLorean uh-huh. and they geeked out over Back to the Future yep. for 30 seconds, but then it broke down like four times and that was the running theme of the show. They didn't really talk about the car, just that it broke down. And I was like, eh, I want to hear more about the car. I, I want to hear more about Patton. We worked with a DeLorean this summer on one of the shows I was working on. The same thing happened. It literally <laughs> broke down every five seconds. Those things were notoriously just poorly made. Oh, from what man. I read. They look cool. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm really hoping that it turns into a half hour or a 60-minute kind of format, though, so we get a little bit more context. Speaking of which, uh, Variety's been doing this special called Actor on Actor. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about this. That is fantastic. So you get setups where it's um, like John Travolta sits across from Andrew Garfield. Cool. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was, it was John Travolta and Rob Lowe. Oh, nice. And, they were, and they've both kind of been in the business for kind of four decades yeah. now, right? And it's a, it's interesting to me, and it's an hour-long show, and they will tell these incredible stories of shows and movies and things that you're familiar with uh, of all the stuff in the background. So you get Andrew Garfield or Ryan Reynolds talking to uh, Taji from Empire. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, I can yeah. never remember her name. Yeah. Taraji. Yeah. Where yeah. do you where do you find that? Is it variety.com or is They it- share it on their site, but it's clips of it. So I think it's on their YouTube channel. Okay. Um I'd, I'll find it and put some links in the show notes for you guys, but absolutely fantastic. You guys should definitely check that out. Hey, we were talking about Crackle a second ago. Um do you remember uh, Ron Weasley, the red-headed like bumbling idiot yeah. from uh, the Harry Potter series? Yes. So, um he is dumping all of that Harry Potter bajillions that he made cuz <laughs> in that that movie will just print money. The dirty Harry Potter money. <laughs> dirty Harry Potter. That's that's a, that's a, that's like a combination from like Wheel of Fortune. Fortune, you know, like Dirty that, Harry that's Potter. That's like a porn spin What do they call thing. that before and after in, in Wheel of Fortune where it's like two, two titles combined together? Dirty Harry with Eastwood and Harry Potter. Dirty oh, Harry okay, Potter. Yeah. See what he did there? Okay. Um, <laughs> so he's doing, uh, I guess, like a, a, you know, remember the uh, the the movie Snatch? I think it was a Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. Uh, right after Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And uh, it had... Uh, Cockney Brad, English Gangster yeah, movie. And it had, yeah. It like, had a, a Brad Pitt that when he spoke, you couldn't un- you couldn't understand what he was saying. His accent was so thick and you'd have to turn on the subtitles on the DVD. Anyways. Um, it, it's not English. <laughs> it's not Irish. It's just pikey. Now, see, that sounds like Ron Weasley from, <laughs> from Harry Potter, and he is producing all of this, right? Yeah. And is he in it, too? He is in it. He, his character's name's Charlie, I think. So it's like a spinoff of that Snatch universe, uh, and then it's it's coming to crackle, and it's strange that, you know, little bumbling Ron Weasley is now taking a dark turn as, you know, one of these Snatch guys, but <laughs> they're all kind of doing that now, right? Except for yeah. Emma Watson, but, you know, I mean, you know, uh, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe or whatever his name was. So, yeah, Rupert Grint. That's right. Dumping Rupert Grint. all his uh, dirty money. <laughs> Dirty Harry Potter money. Dirty, dirty Harry Potter money. That's going to be a hashtag, running <laughs> yes, Dirty Harry Potter money going forward. Uh, James Cameron, one of my idols. 
well is uh is just uh, i can't talk enough about james cameron um is making a special documentary that's going to be a six uh, six part six hour uh docu-series on amc and it's going to be about the history of sci-fi and why this is really cool is we're going back into like some hg wells yeah uh super old sci-fi kind of history and how it led to uh, Ridley Scott and James Cameron and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and th- how and where it's going now. Yeah, none of those guys would exist without the the previous the HD Wells of the world. Right? I cannot wait for this. This is this might be my life. Yeah. For when this thing comes <laughs> exactly. out, I am so geeked out about this. Unfortunately, it's not coming for at least another year. They're saying 2018. Sure, but I mean, if if there's one guy that you want oh. that is going to take care of that material and tell you the best possible yes. history of science fiction, yes, it's one of the masters of science fiction in that guy. I mean, you know, I so. would argue mm, the short of getting into the horror genre, probably the master of. I mean, if you look at Terminator, Aliens. Avatar. I don't want to throw Titanic in there because it's mean, not a sci-fi. You could but say Gene Roddenberry or George yes. Lucas or you know a lot of people that have made their indelible mark in sci-fi. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, he is he is one of the masters, if not the master. Absolutely. And one of the things he's most known for is his innovations around tech. So this first little story, I wasn't sure where we don't really talk about music that much on. On this show, we we probably should. Maybe it's another show we spin off down the road. Who sure. knows? Um, but it is a form of entertainment. But this in particular has to do with Apple and what they're doing around Apple Music. And this week we found out that Jimmy Iovine from this kind of uh, Sony Entertainment kind of history when he was doing that stuff right. with Dr. Dre. And, yep. um, he pulled Dre out of all of his contracts with Suge Knight. And, and made the big beats deal, right, right with Apple. Made the beat, him and Dre made the deep uh, $4 billion or sure. something stupid. For headphones. Now they have VP titles at Apple. Wow. Right, out of all of a sudden. So, and wait, before you continue, Jimmy Iovine, does it sound a lot like Iveen. Johnny I or Iveen or Johnny Ive? Like, where did, he, did they just find people with like weird names like this? Like, <laughs> like uh, you know what? Your last name starts with a weird vowel. Done. You're in. You're smart. You're Apple. Weird double Let's, vowel. Yeah. yeah. Double, sorry. <laughs> I hate to do that, but Jimmy Iovine and Johnny Ive. Yeah. So you, by by definition, you should just hate this guy because you hate Johnny Ive. So <laughs> if he spoke with a British he accent, probably does. It talked about technology. Uh, no, Jimmy Iovine's really. He was one of the early innovators in hip hop and what we came to know as kind of mainstream pop rock and yeah. pop hip hop music through probably the better part of the '90s and even up until today. Uh, he's been kind of the backbone to an extent of that industry. What I'm excited about with this, what they're going to do is going to begin to introduce. Uh, so Apple has Apple Music now, right. which is their streaming subscription service for ten bucks a month. It's supposed to compete with the Spotify's and Pandora's, Pandora's. of the world. Uh, not really gotten there yet. Um, they're third on that list, I believe. If you look at the number of subscribers. Mm-hmm. What they're wanting to do to beef it up a little bit is transcend outside of music and now start introducing original video content. And the the immediate thing that I thought of that this could turn into was a whole new reinvention of what MTV was in oh, the 80s yes. and early 90s. Yes. Before a, we got Real World and all these Jersey Shore and all these other crap shows. Yeah. It used, uh, it, about, got, it used to be about the music. It was about music videos and watching Headbangers Ball and Yo yeah. MTV Raps uh-huh. and uh, MTV News with Kurt Loder and Kennedy. And you had these like cool hipster teen correspondents. The VJs. Right. Uh, so I think there's a huge opportunity here to bring back the magic of what MTV was in the early days with what they're talking about doing here. And if they do that, that could get really interesting 
uh, from a delivery mechanism such as Apple Music, that would make me sign up for it. Yeah, instantly. I, agree. I just, I, um, I, I, I'd never signed up for one of the. I, uh, my wife's in Spotify, but I never got it. But then I thought about it more, like the whole like, hey, play ten bucks a month, and you can have access to all music. Well, that's great because if you buy one album, yeah, you've paid for it. Yep. So why why wouldn't you? And, and exactly. As I as I say this to you out loud, I'm I'm trying to think to myself why I don't because I would have access to all music. And I guess I don't know. But then if you're telling me that in addition to that we add, you know, because I still want to pay the artists because they get jack shit from the streaming services, and I still want to buy their albums. I want to buy their concert tickets, and I want them to be successful. There's that's perfect, why I don't do it. There's a perfect reason, and I agree with you now that I've put that thought into it, and you actually reminded me why I don't. So right. great. Um, I think yeah. Taylor Swift has been the most vocal about the streaming anti kind of about the streaming services she gets like a thousandth of a cent every time a, one of her songs is played on spotify or something like that so there was a point where she took them all down off of spotify so now and, and her she's still probably the one of the best-selling artists in the world today right um i think adele has come out and echoed similar sentiments so while the streaming services are a great vehicle to get your music out there if you're if you're a successful artist and you're thinking in dollar signs instead of right. exposure, right. you're not going to get the best bang for your buck on the streaming services. You're still going to get that from selling albums, uh, whether that's physical or digital, and uh, doing shows and touring. So I, that's kind of my perspective on it. I'm, I'll gladly go give uh, a, a no-name metal band $10 for their album because I know that they're going to get a much bigger chunk of that than if I listen to it 20 times on the streaming service. Yeah, right? good point. Uh, music is interesting. I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on this to see where it goes. But I I really hope I have this huge gut feeling hope that they're going to turn this into what the glory days of MTV was in the mid to late eighties um, when we really saw that. I would say eighty five to ninety five was kind of that magic time of MTV. Even VH one to an extent where you had the lo- it was kind of the not so heavy. That's more R and B stuff and. It was what your parents listened it's, to, not it's MTV. Like, it's putting faces on these bands, yeah. other than other than just seeing them play like uh, the late night shows or Saturday Night Live. Other than that, you don't ever see bands anymore. Yeah, like, did you know you don't that, physically see them? Did you know Metallica did a music video for every single one of their songs on uh, and oh, put did. it up on YouTube for the new Hardwired to Self Destruct album? I did, and I haven't watched any of them because it's like, ah, but why? Yeah, yeah I they're should. amazing. I should. It's it's watching Metallica with like flashing strobe lights, you know, and it's perfect. That's all we want. I don't know. I'm getting old. Maybe I'll have a seizure. (laughs) Oh, well, listen, I could talk about music for days. That's not one of the big formats or mediums that we talk about here. But uh, let's move on to some other stuff uh, around SpaceX. They've been in the news a lot recently. Yeah, they they, they actually got that launch off the ground and it landed. It delivered its payload perfectly and they landed the rocket, the Falcon 9 rocket successfully self-landed itself again back onto the pontoon. So everything went according to plan, and I think this was the first time that they've done all of that and gotten it all right. Yes. Um, I think I read it, that somewhere, too, and I yeah. didn't watch it live, and I meant to watch the replay of it. Have you, did you watch it? Yeah, absolutely. It? Absolutely. It's, it's crazy how much thrust that thing has. It's taking 10 satellites. 10 satellites. <laughs> not one, not two, not three. But 10! 10. 10! And what it is is it's the first 10 of a 70-satellite long-run payload that they're going to be launching throughout the course of 2017. And this is for a company called Iridium. And this is the brand-new Iridium Next communications network that they're going to be doing for terrestrial low-Earth orbit satellite communications. Huh. Right, So things like uh, cell phone or uh, you know Internet-based kind of traffic to bounce around the world, wow. all that kind of stuff. So it's in- and an interesting segue from that that I wanted to bring up is um, it was revealed in, in another article about this that um, Elon Musk might have some dastardly aspirations here 
to maybe put his own satellite network uh, of internet service up into the, into low Earth orbit. And why? Why would he want to do this? Well, think of the recurring revenue that's generated just from a subscription service to the internet. Think of people that are extremely rural and don't have high-speed internet yeah. capabilities in the middle of BFE Kansas or Wyoming, right? Mm-hmm. But they can hook up a little satellite dish like DirecTV, and all of a sudden they've got a 10-meg download internet service yeah. for you know dollars per month. The interesting thing about this is that Google's parent company, Alphabet, is an investor in... SpaceX, several other. Ah. There's going to get to be some conflicts of interest All here right. at some point. All right. I know Google's doing Google Fiber. There's yeah. so there's some Time Warner stuff in there somewhere. So we'll see how all this stuff kind of works out. But keep an eye on that. We'll definitely keep you posted. So let me ask this though: He's yeah. sending send seventy satellites up there. At what point do we have enough satellites above the Earth that it just like it covers the entire like Earth? So like if you're taking that picture from the Moon of the Earth, it's like blue and you know like the, the classic shot. You just don't see it. It's just like all satellites. It so reminds like, me of this gray. Like you know? uh, was it Wally or Idiocracy? Yes, maybe yes, exactly. It was the thing in Wally where it was just right. It looked like garbage. Yeah, exactly. It was just, and the funny thing is, is we don't do a good job of cleaning up or the orbit. Of course not. There's a bunch of dead stuff up there from the last 60 years oh that's boy. just rotating, orbiting. So I don't know. Maybe that becomes a, an industry all in its own, right? Is the, the garbage service of, the, of space. <laughs> space <laughs> garbage men. Space waste management. <laughs> space, space, man- space waste. Spaced. Spaced. There you go. There's the, there's uh, the industry space name. Space management. And just drop the last vowel out so it sounds all trendy and hipster. Copyright that. Yep. Uh, moving right along, it is, uh, it's been speculated by TechCrunch, who I have a lot of respect for uh, from the tech industry, that the mobile app Gold Rush is over. What do you mean by that? Well, it's become standard now that everybody has a mobile app. If you have a company, yes. okay, yeah, you sure. have a mobile app. Sure. If you don't, you're behind the times. Mm-hmm. So if you rewind to like 1998, if you were a company and you didn't have a website, yes. you were behind the times. Sure. That's the modern day version, or, or this is the modern day version of that. And most of them are just completely useless freaking apps. The only ones that are seeing any real traction are in the what we call the social and messaging categories. So it's your Facebook, yep, um, Twitter, Facebook Messenger, Twitter, Google, all of that stuff, right? Gmail, right? Mm-hmm. Any of those that are classified as messaging, those still to this day dominate the um, the downloads category. And there's another metric that we like to use called time in app. How much time you spend within an app? Okay. Social and messaging apps saw an increase in 2016 of 400% that's, time spent in an app. That's staggering. So there's some interesting things you could dive into about that more, but it's, it's just an interesting... We saw a decrease in games, which was probably the most surprising to me, with Pokemon Go and Super Mario Run and big successes like that. True. Clash Royale, Candy Crash Saga. Yeah. How are you not spending a mass amount of time in those it's to the point that it's seeing a 16% decrease, right? Well, a lot of people are using their mobiles as their computers now, so that could be part of it. So they're doing their workflow on their phone or on their tablet. So Absolutely. that could be part of it. You know, people don't really talk on the phone anymore, do they? No, we're posting and commenting on Facebook and messaging each other via Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever, uh, Viner, whatever those other apps are. Snapchat. Snapchat, all that stuff, right? With that in mind, the last thing I want to bring up about this is that if the gold rush is over, what's left? If everything, if maturity has been reached, what's next? What's left to conquer? Well, what have we seen and we've talked about in the last couple of weeks? It's been the AI platforms. It's been Alexa, yep. right? all, all of these things. Well, I think, and, and TechCrunch seems to think that Amazon is going to be the next big 
platform to deliver these kinds of things. But instead of being apps, we're talking about like skill packages for your home, smart homes, those kinds of things where developers can That's come in. That's interesting. That's interesting because on my Alexa, I've, I've downloaded a couple of like, you know, fan made skills like the Star Wars quiz or the blah, 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 blah. But yeah. I guess explain to the listener what the skill thing is. It's, it's a, it's a if then else kind of workflow that you can, or it's just a quiz, right? Yeah. Um, it's a way to control your home automation stuff so that you can say one thing like Alexa, bye bye, and it changes it changes the temperature on your thermostat, shuts all the lights off, turns on the so Roomba. That is, that is an app inside a speaker that doesn't right. have like the classic like put your thumb on the phone screen and start that app. It is right. an application, but in a different Voice sort controlled. of device. There you go. Voice, Voice control. controlled application makes it even cooler. Makes it even awesomer's. So there is that. And speaking of AI. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about here in tech oh, is, is, awesome. is kind of I, I almost contemplated putting this in our fun stuff category at the end of the show, but it was too good not to talk. We're about. We're gonna have fun with it. Uh, DoorDash and Postmates, which if you don't know, are delivery services for just about anything. It's like a modern uh, messenger service. Yep. They're testing delivery robots. Yes, and these are like R two D two Astromech kind of robots. All and for it. That's awesome. <laughs> I just I this is so funny to me because how do they communicate? Or is it your door light is on? Is it very that <laughs> Siri know. kind of voice? I don't or, know. Or is it like R two D two? Yeah, but voice. Like the fact that in the article it says like it's gonna these things can only go like four miles an hour. So right. like let's say like hey Postmates, go pick me up some uh, some cookies from Mrs. Fields and have them delivered to whatever. Right, uh, the Mrs. Fields cookie store. I don't know why I thought of that, but anyways. Right. Uh, <laughs> so if I hit that on Postmates, and I don't know where the Postmates, uh, maybe there's a blimp that they drop the ten. I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe they, I don't know where the the robots sort of generate from, but hopefully there's a robot that's moving at four miles an hour that's somewhere close to that. But if you think if that Mrs. Fields is eight minutes or eight miles away like who i mean how long is that going to take for them to go four miles an hour so it's two hours to get to me i have no idea where this is going to go i'm assuming it's going to be for food delivery initially but that, what about all those people like sense. applebee's are excited like when when johnny like postmates comes up like hey how's it going but it's not him it's like a robot and they're like uh yeah and it's like please give me uh chicken fries or like whatever it is right well, no it's gonna it's gonna go to the something so the, here's the the workflow the way it works uh, allegedly, okay. the the idea is that the robot will once it GPS geolocates inside the store, the service will send a text to the manager or the store itself and say, "Your R two D two is here <laughs> to pick up your freaking you know chicken wings, yeah. right?" Uh, so it comes over and it opens up and they they put the wings inside this small compartment and the robot goes off to deliver it to wherever you are, yeah, wherever you address you give it. How does it get into my door of my apartment building? Does it know to push the code on the front of the building to call me to let me know that it's here? Can it can it call an Uber to go faster if it want to do? That's a great point. Does, <laughs> do, will the Uber have the handicap ramps in the minivan so that it can roll up? It? There's a million questions I have about this, but, but it's, it's still so exciting that you can have a robot deliver stuff to your house. It's one of those things where... Uh, it's so cool, but it's so improbable and impractical. Once you start thinking about how it would work, oh. yes. So I don't I don't know where this is going to go. I mean, it's obvious to me that 2017 is going to be the year of AI and robotics in yeah. a sense. Even as in a trivial scenarios such as you know our lazy fat asses can't get up <laughs> to go get food anymore. We have to right. find we have to design entire business models around food delivery now. Ugh. And what does this say about delivery drivers and the the lack of you know? There's all kinds of conjecture you can get into about the fight for fifteen dollars an hour movement, and now yep. delivery drivers are even being replaced with robots and and AI. 
there's all kinds of stuff you could talk about around this. So uh, this is the kind of stuff that I'm interested in, but th- I could not let this episode go by without bringing this up. This is absolutely hilarious to me. Robot drivers, that sounds like something we should talk about in a video game. You know, I'm hearing a lot, or I'm seeing a lot of articles reflecting back on the holiday sales period. So if we go back to October and look at through Christmas, now that we've kind of gotten past it, we've got all the numbers that have come out. We're starting to get some quarterly reports yeah. that are seeing some numbers that are downtrending. Um, it, you know, we've talked about GameStop quite a bit in, in the recent past, especially leading up to the holidays mm-hmm. um, and some expectations that were there, some things that they would need. Well, now we're past all of that. We're starting to get some of those numbers out. And I, I'm sorry to say GameStop's not going to make it. They're, no, they're, they're not. They're just... You know, we saw a, a GameStop saw a downturn of sixteen percent from the holiday season of from twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen. Yep. That's not the whole year. That's just the holiday season, which you could argue is their mainstay of how they keep the doors open. Sure, that, I mean that, and, and this harkens back also to something that we talked about with the movie industry recently, where there was always they they were targeting the big holidays as where they want to drop all the movies. But now if we look at like the Memorial Day run we talked about last week, or even January, February, March, Q1, yeah. now we're talking about some really big title movies. So is this the fault of the publishers and releasing in the sense that maybe they don't target the holidays for their launch titles so much? Maybe we get more of these throughout the year. And are we seeing that already with the big titles that are coming out at the uh, during the first quarter of this year with Mass Effect and, and those other titles like that? Good question. I mean, I think that the GameStop slash like uh, like Electronic Arts and Nintendo and all of those companies need GameStop, or do they? Like, I don't is, think they do. Is there a symbiotic relationship between the video game makers and the video game retailers, whether the physical video game retailers? I mean, this is not just GameStop. This is Walmart. This is Toys R Us. This is all the brick and mortar stuff, right? I'm sure you could have made the same argument for movies and blockbuster video. 15 years ago. I guess what I'm getting... You're right. Guess the difference between GameStop and all those other things is that is just video games for the most part. Yes, they have a couple it's of toys. T-shirts and toys and yeah. board games. It's not just Whereas video games. You walk into a GameStop were, today, yeah. uh, video games is like a third of what's in right. those stores. Right. Uh, there's trading cards. There's all everything else is in there as well. So I, I'm having some serious blockbuster video deja vu here. Yeah. I mean, and I, I know they're going to fight this out, but I just I almost want them to just cut and run. Because they've they've either got to figure out how to convert to digital and become an online, you know, scuttle the brick and mortar stores. You've got to figure out how to get online and be a presence. Because mm-hmm. even in that arena, you're going to have trouble with Amazon and Best Buy pre-orders being twenty percent off. Yeah, you know. So even if you went that direction, you're still going to have problems. But I, I, for me, I would pull a full blockbuster. I would shut the doors on all the stores. Figure out a way to get the employees into different locations and figure out a way to to become full fully digital because you're not going to make it no no brick and mortar store outside of the best buys of the world are really going to make it and i would even argue they are on a short leash uh within the next five to ten years the last thing i want to say about gamestop here is and one of the things that i one of their trademarks or not trademark that's the wrong word but one of the things that people like about them is the ability to sell games back and get credit i do it or buy i know you do the um, but the ability to buy you don't buy used games though do you no because they're only like five dollars cheaper than the new game what's exactly. the point exactly so that's one of the problems one of the gripes I hear about all the time is that 
even though you're only getting maybe 5 or $10 for a 40 or $60 game when you turn it in, they're turning around and selling it for all but full price. Yeah. And that's not sustainable. People no. aren't dumb. They're not going to buy a used copy, just like you said, for 5 to 10 bucks cheaper than the new one. I'm going to get the new one in plastic so I know I get all the books and the codes and the sleeves. Or and I'm going to wait for Amazon to have like a, hey, Titanfall's 30 bucks, not 60 I Actually, still I'm, there. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to download the damn thing on the PS Store. There you go. Or Xbox Live Store. And not even have to worry about even leaving my house as much of a socialite as I am, right? <laughs> so, again, you know, it's interesting that you like discs and I like digital because that kind of breeds that dynamic back and forth. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about here is just, look, there's too many games. There's too many games. There's too much hype around all of those games. And I, I, like I said earlier, I think they're targeting the holidays too much to be the launch because of Black Friday and because of all the consoles they sell at Christmas. Yeah. It, it, there's just too much. It's oversaturated right now. With At, at that time of the year? Or you're saying overall? Cause I, like, I, think that, I think both. I yeah. think in general, there's just too many games coming out way too fast. And, and we have this backlog of games that we can't get to in time. What was the episode we did a few a uh, couple of months ago? Oh, yeah. It was uh, just overload of content. Exactly. Right? Can't keep up. Can't keep up with all the games. I've got this back catalog now of games that I haven't even touched yet right. that I want to play. And you need to give me some time to play through those games. And shouldn't that mean like holding off and releasing some stuff in like February and April and June, you know, and then instead of like waiting until October to make all the big games come out? I mean, we've, we've talked about it. It's like yeah. Mass Effect is in March. Uh, we got the Switch that we're going to talk about in a minute. That's in March. Yep. And then uh, South Park's in March. Sure. And then you wait six months until the uh, the holiday rush. Right. So I don't understand. I understand the cycle of the trade shows. We had CES. We've got E3 in June every year. Yep. They, they, there's, there's a method to this madness, but I think they need to take a big step back and look at the marketing, the way that they're marketing and, and launching these titles because it, it needs to change a little bit, guys. You know, we've um, we've been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks about whole Super Mario run and how that's been a crazy success, right? But, Nick, you saw some stuff this week that's like uh, actually more impressive than the Super Mario run numbers. <sighs> well, last week we talked about um, Super Mario run and Pokemon Go being like the number one and number two downloads, right? And we talked about recently as well the Super Mario run having 90 million downloads and 3% people buying. That's $30 million. Well, I'm setting that up to tell you that Pokemon Go in 2016 made $950 million. Holy cow. It shattered records from speed of downloads to like how quickly, within 100 days, it got to hundreds of millions of downloads. It made hundreds of millions of dollars. It has shattered all records for mobile gaming. So combine that with Super Mario Run, and you had uh, Niantic and Nintendo had two of the biggest title launches, arguably ever, uh, that that came out last year, and they were on a mobile platform. And we definitely wanted to spend some time talking about that, uh, but more importantly, I want to I go over to what we witnessed after we recorded last week, yes. which was the Nintendo Switch presentation. Boy, wasn't that fun. <laughs> uh, kind of. It was extremely Japanese, and I don't want any of my Japanese listeners or brethren or colleagues to be offended by this in any way, but there is, there is a, a code of uh, ethics and politeness and manners in Japan that is very different from anywhere else in the world, very unique to Japan. So to, throughout the presentation, there was very little, if any, applause or cheers or, yeah. or noises or anything coming from 
you know, it, it, it's the polar opposite of a Tim Cook right. or Steve Jobs right. or uh, Apple or E3. Like, here's the new Halo. And like laser lights and like everybody cheering right. and photos going off. You know, no, not, it was very straight to the point. Just yeah. proper. They come up, they bow, yep. they sell you their product. They give you their pitch. They next, show you a demo. They walk off stage. Next guy. Next guy. Next guy. And now next we'll guy. bring up, uh, you know, yeah. y- Yamamoto-san to yeah. talk about it. Right. And I was just, part of me was going, that's really cool. They cut through a lot of the bullshit. But part of me was like, that took a lot of the fun out of a it typical did. kind it of did, but that's just, keynote but, presser but, like but that. But that's our like American style, I guess. Yeah. So we're just like, ooh. And it was kind of a letdown just as far as the pres- presentation element, like you said. So I wanted to... Uh, or we wanted to. You actually brought this idea to, to me first, and I didn't like it. So I mean, uh, originally, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought it made a lot of sense. Was very timely. So our main story tonight, uh, I'm calling it flipping the Nintendo Switch or flipping the Switch. Sure. If you will, right. We wanted to explore kind of the legacy of Nintendo. Talk about what an impact it's made on all of our lives as geeks throughout the video game history of the last 30 years and how they even went further back to the 1800s with the cards and all of that because they've been around since like the late 1800s, right? Something like that, yeah. Uh, originally, it was all like trading guard cards and fun maps and stuff like that, board games maybe. But um, but our first exposure was really like the, the Donkey Kong. It was the Donkey Kong cabinet. Well, Donkey Kong cabinet, Ar- uh, arcade, arcade game. That yeah. was probably our first exposure. If we really look back at this, I can't think of any other company wholly that has had a bigger impact on me as a geek than Nintendo. Sure, we've had Sony with the PlayStation runs. Sure, we, Microsoft came out with the Xbox in the early 2000s. There was Atari at, at a time that was dominant. I'm talking about long-term, uh, I agree throughout you. your yes. life. Yep. Have we had any other company that you can think of have any kind of impact anywhere near what Nintendo has had on our lives? No, not at all. And that's really what I wanted to get down to, is that I think people inadvertently dismiss, and I'm guilty of this as anybody, uh, and that's really why I, I kind of came around and wanted to talk about this, was Nintendo has had a phenomenal impact. And what I started to realize was that it had absolutely nothing to do with their consoles, with their systems. They, to me, are a character-driven uh, software or game kind of IP company. And as much as we want to talk about the new console, the Switch, which we will here in a little bit... Um, to, it's, to me, it's about Mario, it's about Zelda, it's about Samus, it's about all of these characters that we've grown up with. Yeah. Throughout the course and the history, as these games have evolved, the characters have stayed the same. Regardless of what world you throw them into, Zelda's still there, Link is still yeah. there, right? Mario, Samus, Metroid is apparently coming back Or as you well. can grab all those guys and throw them into Mario Karts and they race each other, or you can put them all up against to Super fight Smash each other. Brothers. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're onto something there. So that, that's where I wanted to really get with this. I mean, tell me about your take on it. What's why is Nintendo such a big deal, and how have they had such an impact on on our lives as geeks? I think it gets right down to what you said with the characters. I think the systems have something to do with it too. I mean, there was something about the Nintendo Entertainment System when it first came out in the mid '80s with the robot that was new. That was cool. It was it the thing to have hit. a joystick. No, it didn't have a that joystick. That was a big it was revelation. It was something new. It came with a light gun. You could, yeah, it came with a light gun. You could shoot at your TV, right? And then the Super Nintendo came after... Oh, you forgot the Power Glove. The oh, Power Glove is forgettable. <laughs> Got gestures. Or the, or the running trackpad. Forget that, too. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, then we went to Super Nintendo, which was a little bit of a, a little bit of an upgrade, just like the Genesis now was an upgrade. Now we had six buttons. Right. right. But then then they made a big leap into the 64, which was, a, which was the last of the cartridge-based systems that there were when all the other companies had gone disc-based at that point. 
and you know Super Mario introduced Mar- the analog it, stick exactly, and it right? also introduced like 3D TV gaming, like mm, but like g- games built in polygons instead of sprites, right? right. Like, like Super Mario 64 was like a, a revolutionary game. And then they they went on to the GameCube, and the GameCube was cool, and it was had a cool controller. But I mean, it was just it was they were always doing something a little bit different. And then they they basically caught lightning in a bottle with the Wii, and then they sort of. But what is that? What is that lightning in a bottle you're referring to? The motion control, like the motion control thing, where like you know your grandmother was doing bowling in your living room, like <laughs> okay. like right, like it was but that, she, like that actually it. was happening in my house, you know. Yeah. And I was in college at the time. No, I was out of college. No, we stood. That was when I moved out here. Exactly. We but, went like, stood I would, in line for it, but it was so small and so portable, you could take it anywhere. I took it home for Christmas that year, and I was literally bowling in my living room with my grandparents and my parents, and like that was happening. It was like a family. It was like they they caught lightning in a bottle. Did and, you ever throw a Wiimote through a TV? No, because I used the the hand strap. I went on right. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, the, none of those things that I've just said have anything to do with Mario or Donkey Kong or right. Star Fox or Zelda. But yes, over the last 30 years, and yes, we, we grew up at a perfect time where that was hitting, but it's already catching a new generation of people as well. Totally. Um, they've got their whole Pokemon thing. They've got their Animal Crossing thing. They've got, you know, other stuff. But um, it, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's fun. It's familiar. It's safe. It's, there's no, like, there's no uh, pressure to it. You know, it's just, it's just fun it's just the they're they pride themselves on making games that are fun and they do so let's talk about the actual uh, the switch aside for for now let's talk about the the hardware the consoles themselves um i i would classify it as what i would call just enough hardware to be able to play their games yeah and, and if a third they, party can figure out how to make their games work within the confines of that hardware then great i think this has kind of been a, a bad thing let me explain why um as uh, PlayStation and Xbox have matured over the last decade, uh, specifically the last decade. Um, we haven't seen much in the way of uh, of them advancing the kind of titles that they can that you can play on a Nintendo console. Right. It's typically been their IP and one or two kind of bigger titles, maybe Madden or something. I don't sure. know. Right. But you're not getting Call of Duty. You're not getting Destiny. You're not getting Grand Theft Auto. You're not getting GTA. Right. Uh, because it probably can't run those games. Yeah, probably not. The hardware's not in, on par with what the PS PlayStations and the Xboxes of the time have. So th- that leads to certain games being unable to, to port over. There was a big article this week about Borderlands 3 not being able to port over to the Switch. Well, it's because, not made yet, but yeah, they're saying like if we make it, it's not going to go on the Switch. Right. Um, so th- there's things that are limitations there around that. Um, I think what I I think that they've shortchanged us a little bit because they're selling the consoles and the the accessories and the games for all of the exact same price points that PlayStation and Xbox are at. Yes, and that's interesting to me because I think if they went out there and did one ninety nine for a console and forty dollars for a game and just kind of undercut them or even fifty forty nine ninety nine sure they could. They, it, just undercutting them a little bit, they could absolutely wipe the floor with them because I talked to several parents over Christmas or in December that were shopping for their kids' first console, yeah. and they did not care about which one it was. They just wanted the cheapest one. Yes. And that, unfortunately, that was not the Wii U. No. They were going for the 249 Xbox mm-hmm. bundle that had yep. two games and an extra controller or something, right? So I my concern here is that I do I want to go out and spend... Uh, for $300 on a console that doesn't come with a game that I then have to buy another hundred-plus worth of accessories for and then have to go out and drop $60 per game uh, when this comes out. I'm looking at another six to $800 spend, depending on how many games I get. To play one game. 
to play, to play Zelda? One game. Yeah, to play Zelda. I I don't know, man. Yeah, I, uh, I okay. Let's 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 back up a second. Let's yeah. talk about the Nintendo Switch and what it actually is. It is a it's imagine like a tablet that you can um, dock in a dock like you would plug to charge, but then that tablet screen actually ends up on your TV. So you're playing your game of Zelda and you want to get in the car and go on a car ride somewhere for a long thing. You can then take that tablet out and pick up right where you left off playing on the TV and keep playing it on this tablet, which is a decent size. Yeah. Uh, and then you could come home and put it back in or you could play it on the go. So the idea is that your games are portable. Um, it's something that hadn't been done. They have some really cool kind of controllers that go with it. Um, that was all shown off on the, on the, on the um, presentation. We don't need to tell you about all that stuff. You can find that. You probably heard about it. We're, we're just sort of talking about how this sort of affects all of us. I got up and I randomly was able to actually pre-order one. I got up randomly at like 5.57 in the morning on the day after that presentation. And I had an email from GameStop that said, hey, the Switch pre-order. Like, so I just went and clicked on it and I didn't like the bundle option. And then I saw that Target had it and I just ordered one on Target. Not realizing that in 10 minutes, of course, all of these things were gone. Just like the Nintendo Classic, all 14 of them that they put out. I got, <laughs> I got one, right. right? And I pre-ordered the Zelda game on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. That was easy to find. So they're they're also there are they're right away back into this whole like supply demand game and then the thing you were talking about how like uh they're like I I don't know while I like your idea of they they want to undercut the other I don't think they're trying to directly compete with Sony and Xbox I really don't at this do. at this point at this point they those two already have an, an established base right I think they are just their own separate thing I think they've always kind of been their own separate thing yes they want to get a familiar title here or there that you can put on a Nintendo system that would be fun to have be portable like Skyrim. But I think you're right when 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 Gearbox comes out and says, uh, Borderlands 3 is not going to be on the Switch. Yes, because of the hardware problems and all that sort of stuff. And they could port it, but who cares? I mean, I don't think you buy a Nintendo Switch to play Grand Theft Auto. You buy a Nintendo Switch to play Mario Kart or Zelda or whatever. You see what I'm getting at? And, I, I, I do. But, you're, but your, your argument's going to be, what's the point of doing all that? Can't they just put the game on those systems? But I don't think they need to. I think they know that they have enough of a established audience and established fan base that they're just going to keep doing what they're doing because it seems to be working. And my other argument is that some of those games are not worth this. Are you, you're telling me those games are worth the same amount of money as uh, a Destiny or a Call of Duty? Zelda would be. Or does, Zelda does, would be. I'll give you that. Does 1-2 Switch seem like a $60 purchase? No. Spray paint the no. ground that one, game? Yeah, that one would be, yeah. Because you get to play it forever. It's a multiplayer game. I, I'm sorry. I, it's just not on par or on caliber with some of the high-end titles that we get for, for PlayStation and Xbox. I, again, if they did it 40 or 50 bucks, I could certainly see a place where they would really move some volume. But apparently that's not what Nintendo wants to do because they never make enough of yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. It's just None of it makes any sense. And that's really... I, I want I to close this out by taking a look at the future here because, I mean, what would we do differently if we were running Nintendo? I think obviously I would... I've made it clear I would change some of the pricing structure in an attempt to move volume, but that would require me to do a shitload of pre-orders so that I could gauge manufacturing ahead of time, which I can't believe. I mean, Japanese are some of the smartest people in the world. I can't believe that they're not doing that. And this business has been around forever. And they know what I mean. They know how to create or know how to at least understand supply and demand. So I don't know. Yeah. So uh, the other things, it's only coming with 32 gigs of storage. We've we've seen that you can't get away with even 500 gigs of storage on a PS4. Yeah. You have to upgrade your drive or delete games constantly. How are they going to do this with a 32 gig storage capacity on a, on a switch? Well, the, because the games are like a cartridge, essentially it's like a, it's like a chip, like the, uh, like the 3ds ones. Interesting. So if I want to, is, does it stay in the dock? If I undock it? Yep. It does. Yep. So it's playing over Wi-Fi. 
Potentially. How, how am I playing the game in the car on the way to grandma's house? How are you playing your 3DS on your way to on the way? Right, to but grandma. if the cartridge is in the dock. No, no, no. The cartridge stays in the tablet. Oh, okay. So whether oh, it's docked or I correct, take it out. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. But still, we're, we live in a digital world now. We're getting away from the, the physical media of gaming, right? Yep. Uh, old curmudgeons like you are the only ones that are still buying physical copies. I think this is a perfect reason why you have to have it. I think that they've set it up so that you have to have it, but I also think that they're making a mistake by not allowing digital downloads or the storage of them that way. Fair enough. It's 2017. We've got to get away from cartridges at some point. We've got to get away from CDs at some point. So if we look ahead to that, I mean, what's next? Outside of the focus of the Switch, I mean, are we doing more mobile games? No, I think it's, but that's the other thing. It's like they're gonna have they're gonna have Zelda and then Mario later in the year, and maybe Mario Kart that's a port. And like it'll be the same kind of thing. Like they're gonna come out with a new system, and it'll be around for four years. And every year, two big Nintendo titles will come out at some point each year. And you'll wait, and you'll wait, and you'll wait. And like next year, it'll be Kid Icarus and Donkey Kong something, <laughs> right? right? And then the year after that, it's like, oh, we've been waiting two years for the Nintendo Switch to maybe they'll do the get. new Mario Kart, sure, or new one, or now it's time for a new Super Smash Brothers Melee game for Nintendo, and that's what it'll be. It's just, a, or you know what they should do is Mario Party. That would be perfect for a system like that. But again, they've got a plan. Whether or not we agree with it, I'm still in on it. You're still on the fence. Uh, it's Nintendo, and they they do things right and they do things wrong. But I'm still going to keep playing their games. Gaming for me has become extremely social. It, it is my way to connect with friends that don't live here. Uh, it's a way to spend time with people, you know, a, an hour or two with people that you really like hanging out with and talking to and joking around with, maybe not in their physical presence. So for me, that there, there's a lot of potential there um, with online multiplayer kind of stuff, especially the Mario Kart side of things. But if I, think, if I look back at Destiny and Overwatch and all of these games that I'm playing today, a lot of the reason I play them is because I get to hang out with, you know, some of our best friends, right? And... I hope that they've got that in mind. I really hope. I think Mario Party is a fantastic idea. I think part of the lightning in a bottle that they caught with the Wii was the uh, Wii Sports yeah. stuff that they could do, where you could we could take turns playing tennis together, uh-huh. you know, things like that. I think they've got a little bit of that in the Switch, where there's a, there's a there's a portability, and then there's things that you can do like live in person, yeah. in like a party situation. I think they're kind of marketing the it joy like moats or whatever sure. they came out with. So right? I think that's a possibility. Is it as simple as like bowling and tennis? No, they'll never catch that again. Right. They should just do it again. Yeah. And to be honest, there with should. Be an updated Wii Sports, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Or they can't call it Wii Sports, Switch Sports. Sure, whatever, it would whatever be. you want to call it. Oh, well, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Are you? Did you watch the presentation? Were you excited about it? Did you take have any takeaways? Are you definitely going to be buying one? Let us know what you guys think uh, because I'm still very much on the fence. Andy's made it clear that he's obviously already bought one. Yeah, uh, and he's already given Target a three hundred dollar loan with for zero interest for the next three months. Uh, but anyway, we won't get into that. Uh, uh, that's why I don't do a lot of pre-orders. Um, if now, if they took away like twenty bucks and you paid the difference at the end, I'd be all in for that. But I'm there not going to give somebody three hundred dollars yeah. to yeah. hold for three months, right? I'm I'm really curious to what you guys think about Nintendo. I'm still very much on the fence. I don't know what to make of it. I haven't owned a Wii. I didn't buy a Wii U. The, I didn't buy a GameCube. If I remember, actually, I did, but that was in like ninety nine or two thousand. Okay, something like that. If I remember right. Um, so I haven't ha- owned a Nintendo cons. I still have my original Nintendo, but and I have a 3DS that I play a lot of games on now. Uh, I played the shit out of Mario Run. I didn't do Pokemon Go. So I'm in this weird kind of gray area. I am dying to play that new Zelda game. I have geeked out over that trailer for the last week. Probably seen it 20 plus times. The music in it is fantastic. It looks amazing. Does it look five six hundred dollars amazing? No. Yeah. It really doesn't. It looks very cartoony and. 
I'm having a hard I'm gonna have a hard time justifying that. Even if you combine the Zelda plus the Mario game that we saw previewed, they both look absolutely amazing. And I, I just I don't know, guys. I'd love to hear what you guys think. It's kind of fun stuff because it's the circus, but it's kind of sad because the circus is coming to an end. Uh, Ringling Brothers will be closing their doors and I guess trains full of animals after 146 years wow. of being in the circus business. And this is attributed to uh, declining numbers, which may be based on uh, animal rights stuff or just people not really caring about going to see animals do tricks because you could just watch all that stuff on YouTube, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but um, Ringling Brothers, it's an end of an era i mean i remember going to the circus as a kid do you remember and i remember that's actually where my fear of clowns comes from remember the circus <laughs> remember circuses remember all right so that will take us into our lightning round all right so while we it's sad that it's closing its doors i want to take some time to remember some all like the fun things so this week's lightning round is going to be fun and or animals and or anything that you can remember that was crazy about the circus go can we do it in the style of member berries <laughs> if you want to sure Remember bears riding bicycles? <laughs> yes. Remember elephants yeah. jumping? I used to like the trapeze stuff. I used to like uh, um, like tiny cars and like clowns getting out of tiny cars. Yes. Um, <laughs> there would there would be the like the hippos with like the dresses like on one feet or like elephants doing the dumb elephant stuff. It to me it was more about like the animals as a kid, but as I got older, I started to appreciate more like the Cirque du Soleil type stuff that they would do in circus. Um, uh, breathing fire, uh, the ringmaster guy with the top hat, you know, telling the greatest show on earth, you know, like that yes, guy, right? Absolutely. So I remember stuff like that. I remember the, like, of course, all the different, uh, animal attractions were obviously the biggest part of Ringling Brothers. Um, I loved the clowns. Most people don't like clowns, but oh, I love nope, clowns because nope, nope. I, in much in the same way I love the jackass movies, I, I, ha- I think <laughs> yeah. it's funny when people hurt themselves. So clowns do a lot of stunts like that, right? Yeah. They would always hurt themselves or hit themselves with a, a pan. Or sure. You'd hear the loud crash or the noise. Uh, but that's what clowns did. And they'd spray each other with water or do jokes and things like that. Um, I, I, I tend to love the high-flying stuff as well. The trapeze artists um, that doing the crazy flips and yep. hooking up with two or th- linking up with three people. Uh, doing these crazy moves and all that. That was probably my favorite part if I had to name one. It seems as we are the concession stand, we would be horrible to not mention just the, the concessions that would come with the circus, whether it was the cotton candy or the popcorn or, the, cotton candy. Yeah, or the lollipops and just like all that sort of like, it was just like a fun thing. And did you ever go to a circus actually in a tent? Uh, remember candy apples? <laughs> yes. Did you ever go to a circus in a tent? Or was um, it always in like an arena? You know, the the tent stuff was always more fairs, like outdoor fairs. The, yeah. It was it was in the arena, Independence Arena in Charlotte back in the 80s. Yeah, I feel like I went to one in Indianapolis when I was like four years old. It was actually in a big tent. So you got to actually see them put the big ropes with the stakes in the ground. I, I mean, I didn't see all that. I just, and I just saw the big tent. You know what I mean? We just wow. walk in the big tent. I think that's what I, I got to see. So um, maybe I made that up in my own memory. But who knows? <laughs> Well, guys, let us know what some of your favorite parts of the circus are. As, as somber of a, of a topic as that is to, to kind of call out, it's, it really brings up a lot of good memories of childhood. Oh, for sure. And uh, I know a lot of our listeners kind of grew up with going to the circus once a year when it, circus is coming to town, right? We'd love to hear some of your great memories. Leave those for us on iTunes in the, uh, in the app store or in the uh, iTunes store. And uh, let us know what you think or leave it on the Facebook or send us a tweet. Let us know yeah. uh, what you what you thought about this episode or what your favorite memory was. Uh, I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over at Data Center Dude on Twitter. And I'm Andy Nelson. You can find me at Andy Nelson 76 also on Twitter. That's going to do it for us this week, guys. Hope you have a great weekend. Be safe during the inauguration. Don't do anything crazy, please. And uh, we'll see you next week. Later. Bye-bye. 
This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.